Hey, of all the things you got going on in your day, thank you for making time for us to be included in your day. Welcome to the quest. It's always good to be together. So before we get into the talk today, how about if we open up with a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we love you so very much, and I just thank you again for the day, the opportunity we have to be together. I thank you for each person that's listening. I thank you for each person that is with us today in spirit. Each person that, regardless of what it is they're going through, they have a need to connect with you. They have a need of you. They recognize that. Father, that is exactly what we're talking about today, and it's exactly, Father, what we need to position ourselves in a place where we can receive from you. So, Lord, today I just ask that you would take those that are heavy-hearted, those that are discouraged, those that uh, need faith and they need you with them today. Father, just give them the peace that they need. Give them the strength that they need. Father, for all of us, we need that strength. We need that faith in our lives that allows us and reminds us that you're with us and you never leave us. That reminds us that you care about the greatest needs in our lives as well as the smallest needs of our lives. Father, you know what's going on in our agenda today. You know what's going on in our world today. And we just are people that desperately need you. And so we surrender our days, we surrender our lives, we surrender our hearts to you. We ask that you would speak to us today, and we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in a great series that we've entitled Jesus Revolution. Before I get into the talk, man, I just covet your prayers still because I'm still not feeling well. This Whatever it is that's going around is uh, sticks with you when you get it. So just uh, don't get it. That's the best way. And I appreciate your prayers. So we're in the series entitled Jesus Revolution. And the Jesus Revolution in the 1970s was a spiritual revival of sorts, a spiritual awakening. And it took place when God impacted the culture. In other words, he touched people that didn't go to the church as well as he touched people that were inside the church. And I think that's a great definition of awakening or revival. It's when the church and the culture have an encounter with Jesus that changes their hearts. One of the things that we see in the 1970 Jesus Revolution movement is that the culture and the church were both in great need of a revival, yet neither one of them knew it, and it's a lot like it is today. So what is the Jesus Revolution? The Jesus Revolution happens, with the saying you can write it down, when we are made aware of our need of Jesus, so we seek to know Jesus. It's not just getting to know about Jesus, but understanding our need of Jesus and getting to know him personally. It's where we have a hunger to know and to love Jesus. That's one of the things that you see in the 1970s revolution, is their desire for Jesus is seen in their hunger to know Jesus. In fact, what you see is that their hunger for God is greater than their hunger for other things. And that's what I hope that God does within our hearts. We need a hunger in our lives that is greater for God than it is for anything else in this world. So the purpose of the series is to look at who Jesus is, who he really is, who he claims to be. And as we discover who Jesus really is and what Jesus really can do, it should affect what we allow him to do in our lives. That's exactly what happened as Jesus' ministry began. Scripture says this. Scripture says that the report of Jesus' power spread even faster and the vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. See, the word in the street is out that Jesus could do the miraculous, so they were showing up to experience the miraculous. See, the idea of Jesus being a miracle worker is exciting and, and powerful, but only when we recognize our need of a miracle in our lives. So if you want to personally encounter Jesus, you could write this down. We have to recognize our need of Jesus. See, recognizing your need of Jesus determines what you're open to receive from Jesus, what we're looking for from Jesus. When we know we have a need for Jesus, it changes how we pursue Jesus and how we interact with Jesus. 
See, the truth is, is we're either spectators or participants. See, we're either watching what Jesus is doing in the lives of others, or we're experiencing what Jesus is doing in our lives. From the scripture we just read, the people that were there, they were not spectators by any means. The atmosphere was charged with faith. They were there to receive something from Jesus. In fact, verse 17 says it this way, And the Lord's healing power was strongly with him. I'll tell you, one of the greatest tragedies in our lives, a sure sign that we need help spiritually in our lives, it's when we no longer look to encounter or receive anything from Jesus. It's like when we show up to church or maybe we're just doing life with God as a spectator, not a participant. See, it's either we don't recognize our need of Jesus or we don't have faith that Jesus will do what he wants to do. Scripture we've been looking at in this series says it this way, that you'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you, Paul says, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. He says, I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did, Jesus crucified. What Paul's saying is he's making Jesus plain and simple. And the truth is, is that it's all about Jesus. And it is that simple. So we've looked at different traits about Jesus and who he claimed to be. And today, one of the traits that we're looking at about Jesus, and you can write it down, is this. A Jesus revolution happens when I discover that Jesus is a miracle worker. When you encounter Jesus and put your faith in Jesus, when you embrace Jesus, Jesus will bring you into the family of God. That in and of itself is a miracle. He will give you a brand new life and a brand new purpose. And the scripture reminds us of this, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus continues to do miracles when we have faith for miracles, when there is a need of a miracle. We're looking at a story today where life presented a need for a miracle. If you've ever been to a wedding, then you understand the expectations are very high at a wedding. And the one we're looking at in the scripture is no different. I mean, the wedding is the bride's big day. It's the bride's dream day. and probably the mother of the bride's big day as well. They've been planning this day all her life. And they want everything to be perfect. But the problem is, is that nothing goes perfectly. And something always goes wrong. This, by the way, is Jesus' very first miracle. And it's found in John chapter 2. Let me read it for you how it starts off. It says this, On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. In other words, Houston, we have a problem. The wine is gone. I think here's the point. Most of the places where we need a miracle in our lives is when we have unmet expectations. When we encounter problems in our lives that maybe interfere with the expectations of our lives. It's when we thought life was going to be one way and yet it's turned out another way. It could be our job that we hate. It's like, I can't believe it's Monday again. We dread it. Or maybe our kids make some bad choices that lead them in the wrong direction. Or maybe financially we've lost it. Or maybe it's just our marriage wasn't supposed to turn out like this. We had high expectations for life, but we're living in the remorse of what's left. So the statement in the wedding that really encapsulates the problem is this, the wine is gone. And that may not seem like a huge faux pas for you, but in the Jewish culture, that was a big issue. See, first of all, Jewish people, they didn't put emphasis on the ceremony like we do. They put the emphasis on the reception. For the Jewish people, a wedding ceremony could last up to seven days. See, for the Jewish people, the ceremonies was not really that elaborate. The reception, though, was huge. For the Jewish people, a good wedding was about if everything went right at the reception, 
not so much the ceremony. So they have a huge problem at the marriage reception. The main attraction or one of the main attractions is missing. There's no wine. For us, it would be like if the pastor didn't show up or maybe the bridegroom didn't show up or maybe there is no flowers that show up. Or it could even be like, where's the bride? We can't find the bride. The absence of wine is a big deal. This is bad news. Jews had a saying and the saying was this, where there is no wine, there is no joy. And what they meant by that is this, wine is more than a beverage, more than something to drink. It was a symbol of lost joy. And that really speaks into a lot of people's lives. We live with unmet expectations and the wine is gone. There's no joy in our lives. It's where we say, I can't believe that I'm in this condition. I can't believe that my life turned out this way. I don't really have hope or don't feel hopeful that anything's going to change. We basically find ourselves in life without no joy for life. You need to know that Jesus enters this very situation with a miracle. And that miracle is to bring joy. So there's some principles we need to look at because I think that we tend to set ourselves up and we end up losing out and missing Jesus because we kind of get our attention and our focus going the wrong way. One of the things I think we do that causes us to miss Jesus is this, you can write it down. We focus on feelings instead of faith. We tend to do the same thing. It's interesting that the wine being gone is the focus of the story. Everyone is upset because of something really superficial. How many times do you find yourself in that very same situation? And it's a difficult situation, but yet we're focused on the superficial. We focus on the issue rather than what we could do about the issue. Our feelings are wrapped up in fear and anxiety rather than faith in what God can do. And when our life is consumed with feelings rather than faith, well, it takes over our lives and it robs us of joy. Sometimes we just need to stop and we need to remind ourselves and maybe even be reminded that we are people of faith. We don't live in an environment of random circumstances. We don't live as subjects to the circumstances of life. We live with faith in a powerful God. And we need to focus on what God can do rather than focusing on the feelings about superficial events in our lives. Second thing that we tend to do to miss Jesus, and that's this, we take matters into our own hands. We say things like, you know, I better do something about this because Jesus really doesn't seem to care. When Jesus doesn't act the way that I want him to, or in the time that I want him to, well, you know, then I just need to take care of matters myself. I have to just do it myself. But the problem is, is that it never works. We see this with Mary. She sees a problem. She says, I'll take care of this. And the truth is, when we take matters into our own hands, we literally take them from God to work them ourselves. And the truth is, is it can't be our problem and God's problem at the same time. In Isaiah, there's a scripture and it reminds us of this. It says this, in repentance, in other words, in changing our direction, you can never have God's best in your life when you're the one in control of your life. When you want to be in charge, repentance is turning the other way. It's turning back to God. It says in repentance and rest, in other words, just stop. Stop trying to do everything yourself and leaving God out of the process and out of the equation. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. In other words, you're saying, no, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it my way, not God's way. 
And then look what happens when we do it our way. You said, no, we will flee on horses. Now, when you see that, horses always are symbols of personal strength or natural strength, not God's strength. So therefore, it goes on, therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. In other words, this is not going to work. You're going to be attacked when you're out on your own because you're doing things on your own. It goes on to say this, till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. That may not sound like much because it's poetic, meaning isolated and destitute, but I want to read other translations because it kind of gives us idea of what it sets us up for when we do things our own way and we leave God out. It says it this way in the message, there'll be nothing left of you. A flagpole on a hill with no flag, a signpost on a roadside with the sign torn off. Or the Living Bible says it this way, you will be like lonely trees on the distant mountaintops, isolated and destitute. Listen, the more that we do things our own way without God, the more isolated we become and the more isolated we feel. So what are we supposed to do? So it goes on to say this, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you, therefore he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Listen, if you find yourself joyless, or maybe your hopes are dashed, maybe you're hurting and isolated, turn to God. He is gracious. If you think I've done it my own way for so long, listen, this is a time for new beginnings. Turn to God and trust him with your life. Trust him with the circumstances. Trust him when things are tempting for us to take control back. When we're saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to just do it my way. I want to remind you that God is there asking to be a part, wanting to be a part because he is gracious and compassionate to you. Here's another thing that tends to cause us to miss Jesus, and that's this. We exaggerate the negative. We have a tendency to focus on the negative in our lives. So when something goes wrong, everything goes wrong. This is the worst case scenario that could ever happen is the way we think about it. The problem sets our life in a catastrophe mode. We start thinking things like this. There's nothing that could be worse than this. And we start looking at it from a hopeless perspective, a helpless perspective. All of these cause us to miss the miracle working power of Jesus in our lives. It's made available to us. So how do we experience Jesus as a miracle worker? Well, the first way is this. You can write it down. Do what Jesus tells you to do. We get this from the next part of the story. Remember, Mary came to Jesus. She says, hey, we have a problem here. And there's a moment in the story as I read it that it appears that Mary stops speaking to Jesus and she starts speaking to people about Jesus. She seems to have an awareness. I am talking to the Son of God. So what she basically starts saying is, listen, I've helped raise this kid. I know him firsthand. He's going to tell you to do things that probably don't seem to make sense. Just do it. Do what he says. That's exactly what Mary said. In verse 5, it says this way. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And sure enough, what Jesus says next and what he tells the servants does not make sense to them. I'm sure Mary's thinking, don't analyze it, don't think about it, don't try to make sense of it, just do it. I was thinking about this. Why did Mary have to tell the servants, just do what he says? See, Jesus is notorious for 
asking people to do things that really don't seem to make sense in the moment. Forgive seven times 70 or love your enemy. These are things that don't tend to make sense. In Isaiah, God says it this way. He says, this plan of mine is not what you would work out. Neither are my thoughts the same as your thoughts. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than yours. In other words, don't try to figure me out. My ways are different than your ways. My thoughts are different than your thoughts. Just do what I'm telling you to do. For many of us, it has to make sense to us first. I mean, if we're going to do what Jesus asks us to do, then it has to make sense why we're doing what we're doing. And the truth is, it won't always make sense. But Jesus knows what he's doing. So to experience Jesus as a miracle worker, we have to put our faith in Jesus in his miraculous works. That what he says goes. That he knows what he's doing. In other words, we have to do what he asks, not because it makes sense to us, but because he's asked us to do it. Listen, when we second guess what Jesus is asking of us, we're not putting faith in him. We're not exercising faith in what he tells us to do and what he can do. If you remember during Jesus' early ministry, he was returning to visit his home village. And the scripture says that this way, he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. When we seek to know Jesus as a miracle work in our lives, there's going to come a time where Jesus has to be trusted. Not because it makes sense to us, but because he asks it of us. So to receive a miracle from Jesus, the first thing we need to do is do what he's telling us to do. If Jesus is telling you to love your enemy, then love them. If he's telling you to forgive those that have hurt you, then forgive them. If he's telling you to give, then give. If he's telling you and he says, hey, I want you to ask so-and-so to pray with you, respond and trust what Jesus is asking of you. Also, if we're going to experience Jesus as a miracle worker, you can write this down too. We need to focus on what Jesus wants to do in you. This isn't really the feel-good point of the talk. See, Jesus is more concerned about what is going on within us than what is actually happening to us. Is Jesus concerned about what's happening to us? Absolutely, yes. But we have to know what is happening to us is also shaping what Jesus is doing within us. See, what's happening around us changes, but what God does within us, what Jesus works within us, that lasts forever. And here's what I mean. Many times the miracle that we need in life is delayed because there's a lesson also that we have to learn in life. And I think that that's what Jesus is doing even in this story. The story goes on to read in verse 6 this way. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial cleansing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Again, this doesn't make sense. If you're going to replace the wine that is gone, then you've got wine containers that are there. Fill them up. But Jesus uses these ceremonial stone pots that would sit outside the temple where people would come and they would wash themselves before going in. And there was a ceremonial process about it. You had to do it a certain way. If the water ran off your hands a certain way, then it was wrong. And there were people that were watching to tell you when you do it wrong because everything had to be done right. It was this dead religion. So Jesus uses these ceremonial pots to show that he's doing something deeper. He's not just producing wine. He's doing something more than wine. See, what he's doing is he's taking this symbol of dead religion and he's putting joy into it. He's taking this ritual, this dead, worthless religion, 
And Jesus is going to fill it with new wine, new joy. Just saying, I came not to just put joy into your life, but I'm also restoring joy into my church. So here's the point. If we're going through difficult times, if you're waiting on a miracle to happen and nothing seems to be happening, a great question that we can ask Jesus is this. What do you want me to learn in this? What are you trying to teach me? Because Jesus is always doing something deeper within us. Also, another way that we experience Jesus as a miracle worker is this you can write down. We understand that life is full of miracles and most of them we're unaware of. When we belong to Jesus, Jesus is always working on our behalf. He's causing all things to work together for our good. It doesn't mean that everything goes the way that we want it to go. It means that Jesus is active even when we're unaware. The same principle is shown in the story. It goes on to say this, Then he, Jesus, told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the banquet was the one that was in need of a miracle, and yet he didn't even realize a miracle had been done. I think that's the same way it is in our lives. There's so many times that God steps in and does things that we are even unaware of, from unanswered prayers that we had to his protection when we have been unaware of his protection in our lives. See, the truth is, is that Jesus is a miracle worker and he's trusted in our lives as a miracle worker. And the truth is, is that he is working miracles even when we're unaware. One last way I just want to point out of how to experience Jesus as a miracle worker in your life, and that's this. Just know that Jesus can be trusted to do what's best. We'll never look to Jesus for the miraculous. We'll never look to him as our miracle worker if we're not convinced that he is the best at what he is doing, that he is always accomplishing the best for us. That's exactly what happens in the story. It says this, Then he, the master of the banquet, called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. See, the truth is, what Jesus provided for them was better than what they provided for themselves. What Jesus does in our lives is not just adequate. It is always the best. He's always working the best into your life. Whatever it is that he allows in our lives is because he wants the best for our lives. Again, I think we tend to miss Jesus as the miracle worker in our lives that we need because we don't necessarily trust that what he can do will be the best. We, we more trust our own abilities because we think what we need is better than what Jesus provides for us. What we can do in and of ourselves is second rate compared to what Jesus can do in our lives. Listen, you can have love for somebody. You can work really hard and you can develop a love for somebody that you don't have a love for. You can try really hard to be loving. But when Jesus is done with your life, when Jesus is working in your life, he changes your heart and he puts a love in your life that you've never experienced for others. He puts a forgiveness in your heart that you've never, you could never develop that kind of forgiveness. You can never extend that kind of forgiveness because in and of ourselves we're incapable. The miraculous is the miraculous because Jesus works it in us. I want to remind you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that this is a great opportunity to begin that. 
If you're looking for a miracle from Jesus, the very best miracle that you can receive is a changed life, a changed purpose, a changed direction in life, a changed eternity for life. And all that begins with our surrender to Jesus. All that begins with our faith in Jesus. See, when we recognize our need of a miracle, then we put our faith in the miracle worker. And I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you, put your faith in Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come to you in desperate need of you. We need a miracle in our lives. We need a new beginning. We need hope. We need joy in our lives. Jesus, I ask that you would touch each person that's listening, that those that are listening, that don't have a relationship with you, that those are asking for you to become the center of their life, that Jesus, you would step in. Jesus, you would fill them with strength, that you would fill them with new purpose and love and, and joy and life because you're the creator of life. Jesus, I ask that you would step into our lives and that you would do in us what we cannot do. We are people in great need of joy, especially in the country that we live in, in the time that we live in, in the circumstances that we live in, we need joy. We need to know that you are greater than what's going on around us. We need to know that you are you're greater than what we're currently experiencing in this life. Our lives, Jesus, need joy. And just like in this miracle, we need your joy in our lives. Jesus, we need joy in our relationship with you. Maybe what we've done in the past has not worked joy and it's been dead. Jesus, work joy into our lives, I pray. Create joy in our lives. May we know you as a miracle worker. May we personally experience your power in our lives as we put our faith in you. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen. Listen, thank you guys for being with us today. Thank you for making us a part of your day. Have a great rest of your week. God's very best to you. Thank you for your prayers for me. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.